plant friends what's up what's doing i hope you've had a fantastic day fantastic week and all is well in your neck of the woods if you're a regular listener welcome back thank you so much for all your support messages on social media reviews on itunes etc it certainly does not go unnoticed if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. I hope you really enjoy the content. The Plant Proof Podcast is hosted by myself, Simon Hill, and is all about bringing on guests to help us all, myself included, become more conscious and mindful. You may have realized if you're a regular listener, today's intro music is a little different, and that has been kindly given to us by today's guest. Today I sit down with Dara Hayes, or otherwise known as DJ Tiger Lily. Tiger Lily is a huge Australian DJ and a passionate vegan. And like many in the music and entertainment industry, she found herself caught up in the party scene in her early days, which ultimately led to alcohol and drug use and declining health. Eventually, when her body pretty much hit rock bottom, she knew changes had to be made to both her nutrition and lifestyle in order to be a happier, healthier person and allow her career to go to the next level. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Dara Hayes, Tiger Lily. Hi. (laughs) Welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so it's a real pleasure to have you over at my house in Bondi. It's a beautiful, beautiful Friday, nice and sunny. Guys, you should see this house. It's amazing. <laughs> and the cute dogs. <laughs> a couple of dogs roaming around in the background. So if there's any, any, any noises, they're just having a good time. Ah, <laughs> oh, Dara, we've got, we've got a lot to cover. Let's um, go. I've got all You know, me. you're one of Australia's most well-known DJs. You're a very passionate vegan and... I've read a little bit about you. I've certainly followed your journey over the, the last, you know, four or five years. And um, I know a little bit about you, but but not the nitty gritty, which I'm looking forward to discovering and sharing with all of the listeners. Can you maybe start by just sharing a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, what your interests were as a child, and if you were sort of always destined to enter the music industry? Great question. Um, yes, I definitely think I was kind of always destined. I grew up not far from here at Maribra Beach and I was literally on the beach my whole childhood. My parents weren't very techie or into television or anything like that. They're real fitness freaks and bushwalkers and hikers. And so we were always outside playing. We um, spent our afternoons making go-karts out of skateboards and scooters and pieces of wood and building tree houses in our garden and making veggie patches and just doing stuff like normal kids should be really doing. My parents were really healthy when all the other kids would, I'm not sure if you remember when you were at school, but most kids would have like a white bread sandwich, maybe some tiny teddies and some chips and maybe like one banana or Dunkaroos or roll-ups. We never had any of that. We had a brown bread salad sandwich or maybe some weird concoction that mum would make like tomato, cucumber, sultanas or something. (laughs) And then we'd have like three pieces of fruit and a homemade muffin. Looking back on that, I'm really appreciative of my mother and my father for really instilling healthy principles into us. But at the time, it was slightly frustrating, as you yeah. can imagine. Where, what, what did the other kids think of that? Was that like the weird girl with the weird lunchbox? Or? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think 
I wasn't weird. I was just kind of like a normal kid in primary school. I was maybe a bit of a teacher's pet. I ended up being like school captain and sports captain. So I was kind of high achiever, but had really nice friends and was kind of friends with everyone. But definitely the fact that I never got lunch orders was weird. Mm. I'm more than sure that people commented on that. <laughs> were, were you at that time, I mean, you're fairly young at that stage of your life. Were you aware that, you know, through conversations with your parents about how you were eating a little bit different to other kids, were you aware that you were eating, you know, quite healthy foods already? Yeah. I knew we came from a healthy house because I'd go to my friend's houses and you'd open the fridge and there'd be chocolate and chips and soft drinks. And we would only ever see those things on a special occasion, like a birthday. In hindsight, it may not have been as healthy as we thought it was, but that's only because our parents were taught different things and had different accessibility and different information to what we have now. So they were doing the very best that they could. Oh, totally with the information that they had. Yeah. So we were still having like lots of yogurt and dairy and we had meat quite a lot. We had meat most evenings, but in saying that it was always all home cooked and very simple, which I think is really great. Um, so I'm super thankful for that. And a lot of a lot of vegetables as well. Which- yeah, loads of veggies, always massive salads. It was always a really nice ratio, which, you know, I can't criticize that at all. And the only reason why I think my mom introduced me into our diet a bit more when we were kids was because she thought that was the right thing to do. And I've spoken to her about that since. And before we came along, she used to cook vegetarian like five, six nights a week for her and dad. So I think it's just an easy way to feed lots of people (laughs) to do, you know, a barbecue or spaghetti bolognese or whatever it might be. So anyway, I had a really healthy childhood, did lots of music when I was three and a half, four years old. I got kicked over to piano school and where I learned to play piano and sing and write music and read music and do percussion and the whole thing. It was a very comprehensive music school. And that was awesome. I did that up until I was like 18. And um, just kind of continued all of that, like the relatively healthy lifestyle, all the sport, all the music um, through high school until um, I went into uni, which was really cool. So I think I started out probably always destined for music and for a potentially relatively healthy life without knowing it. I do remember this one thing that I want to add before we move on. One Christmas, I remember so clearly we're at my auntie's house and we're sitting at the long table and you know what Aussie Christmases are like? We have chicken and turkey and prawns and ham and what else do we have? Just everything under the sun. It's a big spread. Yeah. Like think of any food that you can have with meat and it's there. (laughs) Anyway, it was great. We're all having fun eating. I was probably like five and I just didn't want to eat my turkey and my ham. And I remember putting it in my mouth and like pretending to move my jaw that I was chewing. And then I'd spit it into my napkin and throw it under my chair. We didn't have a dog at the time. So (laughs) by the time dinner was over, I had this pile of like unchewed meat or half chewed meat under the chair. And I got in so much trouble. But I really remember that so clearly as me not wanting to, I don't know, eat the meat, but then also getting in quite a lot of trouble for not doing that. So I think, I don't know. Was that because, was that just like intuition? You're like, just yeah, like I, 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 I don't need this. I don't like eating this. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. I just remember not wanting to, whether it was from me being stubborn or not liking the taste or intuition or maybe a combination of all the three. But yeah, I just remember that so clearly in my mind as one of my childhood memories. <laughs> and, and so as you sort of headed through high school, you maintain that 
healthy version, you know, of eating and the passion for music. Did that sort of grow and grow the more you you uh, moved through high school? And did you have your eyes set on DJing or what did you want to do when you finished school? Mm, okay, so no, I didn't want to be a DJ. I didn't even really know DJing existed, to be honest with you. So I went to a selective girls high school where it was all very much about going to uni and becoming a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. And so there was a lot of pressure on me to kind of choose one of those career roles. So I was toying up between architecture and dentistry and I ended up going to university and started studying dentistry. And then 12 months into that degree, I was like, this sucks. This is not for me and changed over to a media and communications degree, which was much more suitable for my personality type. But during high school, I played music. I was in every single band and orchestra, like had bands with my friends that we'd, you know, do every lunchtime, went to all these overseas trips with school for music and really enjoyed it. It was a massive part of my school extracurricular, but I knew that I didn't want to be a music teacher. I knew I didn't want to play professionally in an orchestra, probably didn't want to play in a band. And so I thought that maybe music would just be a hobby for me because we weren't told about all the other avenues that you could like venture down. Yeah. Yeah, it was it's crazy that I had these amazing music teachers and they didn't say, hey, why don't you think about doing this? Producing. Why don't you think about doing that? Sound engineer and things like that. Anything. Yeah, right? Like even to to do with like events curation with music or I don't know, there's so much stuff that you can do and we just weren't really told about it. I understand because it doesn't necessarily fit into the system that I was in. But going on and doing a media and communications course surely was was very beneficial anyway, right? Yes and no. Like I know how to set up my mics for my podcast and I could, if you weren't here, I could do all this, set up the mics for your podcast. Like I might get you around to do that next episode. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was great because I studied at Sydney Uni and they do a really broad variety of courses. So we did lots of journalism, lots of writing, but like lots of film, lots of radio, bits and pieces of music. And you had an opportunity to do a double major. So I did a double major in marketing and sociology, which was cool. So it was a good broad degree that gave me a lot of insight into bits and pieces, but also really made me realize that I didn't want to be a journalist, (laughs) Um, which is great. You know, made me realize I didn't want to do that. And were you still through the university degree, you were still in your own time pursuing your passion with music? Yeah. So I did this competition in 2011 called Your Shot. And it's held in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. And what it is, is it's a competition that gives young people an opportunity to learn how to DJ for free. And you have six weeks of intensive courses by some of the best DJs in Australia. And then you have like a big DJ off, like a competition. So going into that, you'd never... I had... You'd done a little bit of... Touch decks before. Yeah. I was actually dating a girl back then who was a DJ. And so I'd like convinced her to lend me her decks and I had them in my bedroom was kind of like trying to figure out what all the buttons did and things. And I'd gotten two gigs at the Coogee Pav because one of my friends ran events there. Okay. Was that nerve wracking jumping up there? Oh, completely. Stopped the music three times. Like it was... Is that that what they call a train wreck? Yeah. Train wrecked most (laughs) of my mixes, I'm more than sure. But you know what? I'd like been stuffing around in my bedroom for maybe eight weeks at that point with a full-time uni schedule. So of course it was going to happen, but it was great. I think that's the best thing that I did was just get out there and 
be like, I'm going to get myself a show. This is going to be great. So going into your show, I had a little bit of experience, enough to know my way around the decks, but I still needed a lot of perfecting. Those first shows at Coogee Pav, can you remember, I guess, the feeling of very, very different now to what the shows that you play in now, but can you remember the crowd and like, were you getting that, uh, that energy? Was that something that you walked away from going, I'm, I'm going to perfect this craft so I can chase that energy on a, on a grander scale? Not so much the energy, no, because I was so nervous I wanted to vomit. <laughs> um, but I did invite all my friends and family and they all showed up like with flying colors. Like it was so great. I had probably 50 people there come and cheer me on for my first That's show, so cool. which is just <laughs> so epic. But everyone was dancing and having fun and getting behind me. And looking back, like I definitely think I rallied lots of support and energy from everyone. I just remember not necessarily chasing the energy, but chasing the feeling of performing for a crowd, you know? So yeah. that's what I really loved. Creating creating the the right environment for them. Yeah. To yeah. enjoy their night. Totally. And I just, you know, having so much passion and experience with music, being able to think, hey, this is cool. I'm doing my music again, but it's not in an orchestra. This is brilliant. Wow. I'm going to follow this. So it was really exciting for me. And I felt pretty cool as well. Yeah. And, and yeah, given your, your sort of long background in music, you said you started when you were three. Mm. Did, you, did you pick up this craft of DJing pretty quickly because you had the ear of, sort of ear for the music? Yeah, it helped so much. That's part of the reason that I wanted to get into it because I used to go clubbing all the time and you'd hear the DJs play really bad mixes and I could hear it was bad because harmonically it doesn't work. Like if you put two different songs together and they don't match, it's going to sound awful. So you were learning, you know, well before you even jumped on the decks. Yeah, totally. So you can, people learn differently when they're learning to DJ. Um, you can learn visually by lining up like the sound waves or you can learn orally. And that's what I did. It was just like, this sounds about right. Yep. Yep. Great. Now with all the technology, people are learning so much more visually because they can see the sound waves. They've got the BPM, which is how fast the song is. And you can kind of match it up just by using your eyes without even hearing. But back then. There wasn't really anything like that. You just put a CD into this little thing and off you'd go and listen. And I think I'm really thankful for learning back then because... Well, if the technology fails there, it's good to yeah, have that skill exactly, to get listen, Exactly. Right? Yeah, totally. So this, this competition, you, you entered? Yeah, I entered. And how did you go? Came was it a competition? It was a competition. Yeah, competition. Yeah. 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 Came second, which I was so stoked about. Kind of disappointed at the time. I remember I was like, I want to win. Didn't even think I was going to like get a look in. But, you know, when you're there, you're all hyped up with excitement. Um, but in hindsight, I think it's really great that I didn't win because coming second gave me so much drive to keep working at my craft and get better and get more shows. And I actually, the prize for coming second in that competition was a residency at Soho. How many years have you lived in Sydney for? Uh, I've lived in Sydney since 2014. Oh, so you, do you remember Soho? Probably not. No. No, it was this club in the cross. Tell us about Soho. It was awesome. Well, the it cross. Was awesome can you back can you then. can you can you explain the cross to the international? <laughs> All right, everyone. So King's Cross is um, this suburb in Sydney, Australia, and up until about five years ago, it was the place to be on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. There was something like sixty clubs in the space of like six blocks or something. And it was just jam packed with people and bars and restaurants and kebab shops. 
and pubs. It was just mental. And then unfortunately, in the past couple of years, we've had some really tight legislation come in and it's meant that a lot of the clubs have gone under. Lockout laws. The lockout laws, yes. So they've changed the legislation on the lockouts and also the alcohol. So I think it's something like now you can't serve alcohol after one thirty, And I think you have to be... In the club by around that time, right? Yeah, I think in the club by one. By one. And they close the doors. You can leave, but you can't get back in. And then at three o'clock, I think most of the clubs shut down. Which means like it brings less people to the area. Totally. Um, All the restaurants have shut down too because there's no like people coming around late at night. Heaps of yeah. taxi drivers have suffered. And also a lot of DJs have suffered because I used to, so back to the Soho thing, I got the, like the graveyard set. So I was playing four till 6 a.m. on like a Friday night. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, but those sets don't exist anymore for young yeah. DJs to come and perfect their craft and perfect their performance. And it's really sad because we've definitely seen a little bit of a lull in like the creativity from the live perspective with dance music in Australia, in particular in Sydney. Um, and I think that's a direct result of the lockout laws. So the, the graveyard shift four till six, someone who has, you know, had a relatively healthy upbringing <laughs> in, in, I know people listening will think, well, that's not the, probably the greatest environment for most people uh, for optimizing health. Yes. How, how, <laughs> how did you go about working in that environment? Did it, did it ever sort of get the better of you at any stage? And did, you know, I for lack of a better word, get sucked into the environment or were you able to maintain your sort of health values? Health was not my priority back then at all. Partying was my priority and DJing was my priority. So yes, I definitely did get sucked in. There were a couple of years there where I was drinking a lot of alcohol, doing quite a few drugs quite regularly just because I was DJing so much and everyone was partying and that was kind of what we did. And it was awful. Like it was fun at the time, but looking back, I was really unwell. Just remembering the hangovers and how tired you were and how you had to kind of back it up again and again. And I also think looking back to that stage of my career, as a DJ, it's really important when you're kind of coming up through the ranks to socialize with other people, to get to know the other DJs and the promoters. And so, you know, they know you and they want to book you and it is a very social. So you um, kind of feel like you need to network and yeah, it's to really participate. Important. Can't just go there, do your set and go home. No, not at all. Yeah. So I didn't mind at that stage. If I had to do that now, I wouldn't do it at all. I would definitely mind. Back then I was kind of loving it and I just got caught up in it. And yeah, it did definitely get the better of me for a couple of years there. And I ended up getting pretty sick. I was touring heaps internationally, like doing four months stints. What at year a time. would have this been? This was four years ago and three years ago. So you're you're about 25, 26 now. I'm 26, 26. now. So yeah. yeah. 22, 23 was touring heaps overseas. So this was kind of like getting my career was going really well. I was super stoked about it, but was still partying lots, not eating just eating unconsciously, not doing drugs. I kind of stopped doing all that party drug stuff when I was about 21, 22. And that was awesome stopping that. What, what made you at that time want to stop that? Like, was it, was it reg- you know, regretful days the next day or regretful weeks? Or what was it that's, that made you go, you know, I need, I need to slow down on the drugs? Um, 
Was that someone else speaking to you? I think a combination of different things. Yeah. Realizing that um, I was part of a boys club and that part of my personality is very, yeah, let's go keep up. So keeping up with a boys club was very dangerous because obviously if you're having one shot of coffee and I'm having one shot of coffee, that one shot of coffee is going to affect us very differently. That relates exactly the same to drugs. I didn't feel good. I felt anxious and depressed and kind of a bit ashamed of myself because it was so against everything that my parents instilled in me. Everything. Like they are so against. Were they aware of it or were they probably just assuming it with the nature of the industry or? I don't, a bit of both. I had this crazy ex-boyfriend that like told them that I did all these drugs. So I think they may have presumed a little bit from what he had told them. Yeah. Taking that, of course, with a grain of salt. I haven't actually spoken to them about it. It's a little bit embarrassing for me. Um, and then the th- like the last thing why I stopped was um, the guy I was dating at the time was super against them. And I kind of thought, oh, I really like this guy. So he was a good influence. Yeah, he was a really good influence at that time. Um, and yeah, I haven't looked back. And I'm so proud that I stopped back then because it's very easy mm. to get sucked into that. Well, your career's definitely escalated, I guess, since then, right? Well, totally. There's a direct correlation. When I stopped partying as much, like my career just went up. And I think that, man, if everyone just stopped one unhealthy practice in their life, whether it be drugs or whether it be alcohol or smoking or whatever, I honestly think that they would see a direct um, correlation with like some other element of their life increasing so much more Mm. positively. Without generalizing, is it a sort of pattern that a lot of DJs go through? I guess they're bringing the vibe, they're bringing the party. Are the young ones, you know, typically getting sucked in and then they reach a point in their career where they're over it and they realize that that's not how they can, you know, get reach their pinnacle? Is that something you see or is that something you speak to other DJs about? Like, Yeah, I think a lot of people go through the same experience as me. I would say only a really small percentage of them follow a similar route that I've kind of followed, which is like not doing the drugs, drinking on occasion and looking after their health. A lot of the big, big DJs kind of do that now because they've really realized, they've probably gotten really sick and realized, oh shit, if I want to keep pursuing this career, I have to be serious about my health. Um, They've really realized that... um, fundamental correlation between health and business success and mental health keep you know yeah and maintaining a really well. really really good mindset mm, about but, yourself and yeah 100 percent. but i definitely do think a lot of like smaller and local djs get stuck in that kind of i'm bringing the party so i've got to be amped up people often say that to me i can't believe you don't really drink when you play i'd need to have at least three or four vodkas before i went on because they got to get into the vibe of bringing the party is that something with experience though? Now you know how to sort of just bring the energy without the substances or, um, or early on? I think that's just my personality. Yeah. I'm like, woo, yeah. hey, let's go. But I think a lot of people are shy, especially DJs. We're all nerdy as because we're mostly stuck behind a computer like tapping away all day. So for someone who's generally an introvert and potentially a little bit nerdy or you know, used to writing songs on his computer in his bedroom, it's going to be a lot more difficult for someone like that to go on stage in front of a thousand people than it is someone who's a bit more relaxed about it like me. Yeah. So they use the substance, I guess, to drop the guard a bit and yeah, loosen totally. up. Totally. So so you you mentioned before you were doing, you know, you started touring internationally when you were sort of 20, 22 or something like that. Yeah. What was there something 
within your career in Australia that allowed for that sort of jump internationally? What was it like? How are you getting that, building that exposure and building, building up to be someone that obviously others overseas wanted to get you over? There wasn't one thing really. Like there wasn't one moment or one song or one set. It was just a combination of playing lots of different shows, having a couple of the right people come to my shows and see my sets, which is really important in any industry to find a good agent to book you shows. So I found some great agents overseas with the help from my label and a couple of friends. And it was definitely a hard slog at the beginning. It wasn't like I say, you know, I was going to America to tour. It wasn't like everyone was saying, come to America. We need you. We love you. It was like me going over there being like, hey, can I play a show here, please? (laughs) Um, So it was very different to what it is like now. Lots of late nights, lots of long hours, lots of crazy schedules. What sort of size crowds were you playing in front of there? It depends. Sometimes it would be like three, four hundred. Some of the biggest shows I've played was like 30,000. Yeah. So like huge, ridiculous. So it just depends whether it's a festival or a club show. America and Europe have really great clubs. They've got really great infrastructure for DJs. And so their clubs are a lot bigger than what we have in Australia. And your career from then to now, sort of how, how has that transpired? Oh my gosh, so much has changed in the best way possible. So back then I was touring so much, was yeah eating unconsciously, partying still quite a bit, wasn't looking after my health, didn't have the best team around me didn't know that at the time, but it took me to get pretty sick to realize that I needed to make some changes. So I was actually diagnosed with Crohn's disease about two years ago. And for everyone listening, if you don't know what Crohn's is, it's an inflammatory bowel disease where your small intestine gets super inflamed for whatever reason. There's not a huge amount of information on it. And most gastrointestinal doctors just want to put you on Western medication for the rest of your life. But the good news is I am not on any medication anymore, which is awesome. So there are definitely ways around it. But which I want to go into. Yes, we'll talk about that later. So with Crohn's disease, it creates, you know, massive amounts of bloating and pain, brain fog, lethargy, forgetfulness, mood swings. I put on quite a bit of weight, but kind of lots of like water weight, I suppose. Mm. Like I felt puffy sort of and soft puffy. and puffy. Yeah. Yeah. My toilet routine was not healthy. Was this whatsoever. like a, something that sort of gradually, gradually was creeping yeah. up and it yeah. got to a stage where you're like, I need to see someone? Yes, 100%. So it started off with me kind of thinking, oh, maybe I'm intolerant to dairy. And then I was like, oh, no, it's not dairy. Well, I, I'm intolerant to dairy, but like this, it's got to be something else. It's not just when I'm eating dairy. And then I would notice, you know, I'd get more pain and more discomfort. And then obviously the touring and the flying and the jet lag and the alcohol and the no sleep aggravated it further and further. So long story short, I got pretty sick and I realized I needed to make some changes to my work environment and my life. So I left my manager and went out on my own. And that was pretty scary and awful because we were like best friends. And yeah, it's really hard to exit a relationship like that. But I realized that part of the problem was that I was kind of being lured into making these decisions without thinking about it for myself. So doing a four-month tour overseas with 40 shows sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Yeah, awesome. (laughs) But then when you're doing it, you're like, ah, why did I say yes to this? So I realized that I needed to create a little bit more accountability for myself. And leaving my manager was 
hard, but a really, really great thing because it allowed me to take control of all the decisions I was making in my business, which then obviously is like relating to my health and my personal life. So I still have agents that book all my shows. I just kind of oversee all of that. Would you say you've slowed it down a little bit? Yeah, Yeah. 100%. I had a bit of time off to recuperate. I've realized that I can only do like two to three weeks maximum overseas now. The touring schedule is still awful, still really hard. And being jet lagged and tired isn't fun for anyone. And it's not great for your body, but at least I have control over that now. And that's a really nice feeling. So not only did I change those working environments to make it like slightly more doable for me, or even small things like when I'm in Australia, instead of playing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I just play Friday, Saturday now, max. Sometimes like this so week, you're I looking, only have looking one after show. yourself more. Yeah, totally. Because I really realized that in order for me to perform to the best of my ability, I needed to be healthy. It's like being a professional sports person or a model. They don't feel guilty for going to the gym or for going to doing their training sessions because it's part of their work. Part of my work also needs to be looking after my physical and my mental health so I can show up at 2 a.m. on Saturday morning, look good and feel good and put on a good show. Because realistically, it is the same. Like you're, that's what your job is. That's your game day. Yeah. So an interesting realization um, and trying not to feel guilty for being indulgent with my health and my health practices. So that's definitely been um, a bit of a journey. And I mean, it must have been tough from a, I guess, an income. You're sort of sacrificing a bit of income by cutting down the shows, right? Yeah, 100%. But as the universe always has a way for you. At that point in time, when I was like, I'm just going to slow down a little bit, along came good old Instagram and I'd gathered myself quite a crazy following. Um, How did you do that? I don't know. (laughs) I was being myself. (laughs) What do you think is different about you though to other, you know, DJs out there? I think I probably overshare quite a lot. So I talk about lots of different things, which makes people feel like they can relate to me and they should be able to relate to me because I'm super normal. I think also having the crazy blue hair and pink hair and purple hair for so long definitely made me stand out. When, when did you start the, the um, crazy hair? When I was maybe 20 till... Is that, di- you, is that like temporary dye into your hair or no, is no, it a it wig? Was, so now I wear wigs. Yeah. Guys, right now my hair is like brownie, blondie-ish. But for years, it was actually my real hair, like down to my butt, super long, fully bleached and then fully permanently dyed. Hence my very small bun because all my hair started to fall out after years of traveling and bleach. Of course, it's going to happen when you're not sleeping and not eating well and you're traveling so much, your hair's of course going to get damaged, Yeah, especially with all the bleach and the product being put into it. So now I wear wigs and that's awesome. Super great. So what are some of the things that you tend to share with your community, I guess? Mm, um, so I share like kind of behind the scenes stuff of say like music studio or travel or things like that. I talk a lot about mental health, as you've potentially seen, especially with yesterday being Are You Okay Day in Australia. Talk a lot about my fitness routine. And I think a lot of people have seen me come from being kind of unfit, kind of unhealthy and have followed that journey. So see that it's possible. Yeah. And I think also um, just being really nice is really awesome. Like I've noticed a lot of DJs are often too cool after their shows. They won't generally hang around for photos um, or chat to people, but I do always try and take time and effort to spend time chatting to people and take that photo because that means so much to people. Mm. 
it would mean so much to me as well, putting myself in their shoes. So I think just trying to be personal and down to earth is really important as well. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Just being genuine and authentic mm. is just super important to building like a, a loyal community and a community mm. where you're actually adding value to mm. them, which is obviously coming through the content that you're posting. The Crohn's disease, mm. we just spoke about it. Yes. Let's go through how you went about changes in your yes. food selection. Yes. What did you do? Okay. So when I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease, I was actually vegan, but before I went and saw a professional about trying to fix my problem without knowing what it was, I started to make changes to my lifestyle and diet because I knew that it was definitely related to that. So what was that? That would have been like three, almost three years ago now. I transitioned quite slowly from being like full-blown pizza at 3am type of gal to plant-based whole foods and was definitely a rocky start, especially with traveling and also having an inflamed bowel <laughs> is never fun. Um, were there times where you thought, oh, I'm not sure if this is for me? Or did you, you, you were sticking with the process? I stuck with the process. I have never been super strict on myself to the point where like I gave myself like six months to kind of really ease myself into it. So still a little bit of fish in that six month period, probably had a little bit of dairy every now Similar and Similar to then. what I did. Yeah, like there's transition. no point in being a Nazi to yourself because it's just making yourself feel awful on yeah. top of all the other guilt that we carry. And I mean, there might be a certain character or a certain type of person out there who needs that instant change, but the yeah. majority of people, you actually, by doing it slowly, you get more confident. Yeah, like totally. It's, it's a hard thing just to do it overnight. Yeah, and I think even now, I still slip up sometimes. Like my mum bought Scott, my boyfriend, and I all this chocolate for Easter. and I just presumed because she gave it to us in one basket that was all for us, i.e. all vegan. And Scott doesn't really like chocolate. So I was just sitting there eating all this chocolate, having the time of my life. And then I realized like I reckon 20 minutes later that some of it wasn't vegan chocolate. And I was so sick for days. Mm. <laughs> oh, it was awful. But um, but you can't beat yourself up over no, something like, like that. No, like it's not the end of the world. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen to most people out there. Oh, totally. So. I And I think that letting go of that need to be perfect and not slip up. And even if, say right now, you really wanted to go and eat an egg or I really wanted to go and have a cow's milk coffee or whatever, like I'm very relaxed and respectful of other people's choices if that's what they want to do and if that's what their body's telling them to do. Okay, cool. Like it's not the end of the world. As long as you're sure of your path and your journey, then that's great. Mm, Um, I like that. No pressure. No pressure and no judgment because I know I've been judged so heavily, especially online when I've made mistakes accidentally. And it's the most awful feeling. What, what's happened online? <laughs> Tell us about something. Perfect example. So earlier this year, flew back from America. On the same day that I landed, we picked up the keys for our new house and picked up Lenny, our dog. So crazy day, right? Full on. So got off this plane, had this beautiful new puppy packing up at my parents' place and this pair of shoes got delivered to my house. I was like, oh my gosh, the coolest boots. They're like thigh high, like snake print. I was like, wow, beautiful. Like, we hope you like these. And I went, put them on Instagram and tagged the brand being like, just got home to this beautiful present. Thank you. They had leather in them. Didn't know. And I'm like so apologetic to anyone that I offended by posting that. 
Maybe if I wasn't so jet lagged, I would have known. Maybe if I didn't have a puppy pluey on my floor, I would have checked. But in the in the time and place that it was, like I didn't know. And I'm sorry that I promoted that brand and that pair of shoes. They don't do all leather shoes. They do some vegan shoes, but it's just the luck of the draw. And I got so abused and so many awful messages from people, like angry people, saying that I was like fake and a phony and I had no right to be doing what I was doing. And it was so hurtful and so upsetting, especially when you know how much like emotion and love you put into doing what you do. I don't think that judgment really serves anyone. No. I think there's such a spectrum as well. Like, and you sort of, you do, you do you. At the end of the day, you do you. And like, if that means you want to be plant-based and it does, you know, you don't look at other things in your life, then that's fine. If that means that you want to be 70% plant-based, whatever it is that works for you, I guess being in your position, Mm -hmm. you're sort of out there. People are You're an easy target. You're a bit of an easy target. Yeah. And they're probably not coming from a really bad negative space they probably in their minds think they're doing the right thing yeah because they uh, their belief system is so strong yes and they're so um, passionate they're about so it. passionate yeah. but i just sometimes wish they could sort of use that passion you know a little a little bit differently even if they just shift the focus and the frame of how they say something so instead of coming in and attacking this is something i've been talking about heaps lately to lots of people about reframing the way that we speak to people about things we're passionate about like saying it from a place of love and Maybe instead of saying, I can't believe you'd post those leather shoes. You're the worst vegan ever. Saying, hey, Dara, I'm not sure if you know, but these shoes are actually leather. Just letting, thought I'd give you the heads up in case you didn't know. Here's another brand. That does really great vegan shoes. great ones that I bought and they're vegan leather. Yeah, right. Totally. Love it. Awesome. That's like so cool. But I think that's not necessarily the attitude of a large percentage of the community, which is really unfortunate. Mm. I do think it's slightly shifting though. Yeah. Um, away is. from, you know, probably, I guess, five, 10 years ago, most vegans were like that purest vegan. Yes. Not only were they sort of extreme in their views sometimes, but also were sort of like against making money, yeah. things like that. And starting to change. And, yeah. the, you know, the modern vegan is, is hopefully becoming, you know, or going to approach situations like that a little differently. Totally. And I think, I've been definitely struggling with the concept and what I call myself, whether it is plant-based or whether it is vegan. I drive a car and it runs on diesel fuel. That's definitely not vegan. I go on these huge long overhaul overseas flights multiple times a year. That is definitely not vegan. Like there are lots of things that I do that definitely don't align with my beliefs but it's just being a human in the 21st century. And I think the most important thing that everyone can do at this stage in their lives, well, this is where I'm at in my life, is doing what they can when they can. And as you say, whether it's being vegan 80% of the time and 20% of the time eating Maccas, brilliant. If that's what works for you, that's the coolest thing ever. Like tell everyone about it because that's amazing. Or if you just want to be just plant-based with your diet and do whatever else with your like leathers and with your, I don't know, what else is out there that's not? Oh, skincare. Things yes. Like that. Yeah. Makeup and skincare and bags and all that stuff. Great. Do that. So I think that, I don't know. We Just do the best that you can in your own life. Yeah, totally. And doing something is better than doing nothing. Yes. Whatever that is. Yes, exactly. So take 
I think everyone needs to just take a bit of pressure off themselves yeah, and other people. and other people as well. And it's so much fun when there's no pressure on you. It's, it's a great, like, fun path to venture mm. down. I've started looking a lot at single-use plastic. Oh, me too. And, How awful is it? And it's, it's, <laughs> it's everywhere and it's, it's so hard to not actually buy any plastic. Mm-hmm. And I've started, I started obviously, you know, doing all these simple things mm-hmm. like the grocery bags and the water bottles and Buying things the like glass that. Containers for and then food. I just find myself in these situations and I just feel so bad because there's so much single-use plastic around us. It's like impossible almost to go completely plastic free. I know. I know. I get this kind of anxiety lately in the shopping mall because I look around and I'm like, oh my God, all the single-use plastic. Oh my God, where's it all going? Everyone around me is buying it without being conscious, but shit, I need some hummus. How do I get hummus without buying a plastic box? Like I have no shops near me that do like tahini and hummus in a jar. Where do I get that from? Like, and it is like a really hectic thing to think about. And I think that it's something great for people to think about when they are feeling pressured on themselves about, say, being like super strict with a specific diet, whether it is vegan or paleo or keto or whatever they're doing, like zoom out a little bit and realize that there are so many other big issues like single use plastic that we need to really think about. Exactly. Have you seen, um, what's it called? The giant ocean or blue ocean? They show the amount of particles of plastic that are ending up in the ocean and, the, and not only inside fish, but they, the seabirds and actually there's dead seabirds in a certain island and they cut their stomachs open and they're like 300 plus pieces of plastic in some of their stomachs. It's pretty crazy. Like, can you imagine how bad you would feel if your dogs had plastic in their stomach? Yeah. Like I would die of guilt thinking that I'd let that happen to my dog. but reframe it into like a fish or an ocean bird and it kind of weeds the perspective changes but it really shouldn't oh my god that's really scary maybe it's called blue planet blue planet i think it's called blue planet guys okay we didn't finish talking about no we didn't no crones so sorry guys the conversation's a bit (laughs) it's great though (laughs) so i had already gone vegan and was in that stage where you transition from a normal sad diet to a vegan diet and then transitioning from a like Americanized vegan diet to a whole food plant-based yeah. diet because it's definitely yeah, yeah, a transition yeah. between 100% and there's a lot diet. of sort of transition-based foods like mock meats and yes, all that sort of stuff exactly. was the initial reason for the transition it was health right a combination a of, of a- everything I think I'd always wanted to go vegan or vego but had always it was always as a teenager mom I want to be a vegetarian no you can do it when you're older like when you're cooking yeah, yeah. for yourself, you can do it. Okay, cool. And then I was older and that was the time. And I had some really beautiful, influential people in my life just slowly push me a little bit. Yeah. My cousin who's been vegan for years and she's awesome. She's just the most gentle, beautiful. She's, I think maybe on one of your podcasts the other day, there was a quote. It was like, be the vegan that you wish you would have met before you were vegan. Exactly. If She's you, that if, vegan. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you have someone uh, around you like that, you're super lucky because it makes it so much easier. Yeah. And my sister had just read the China study and she was experimenting with being vegan. So I was like, oh, I'll just give it a go as well kind of thing. And it was for a combination of different reasons for, of course, being compassionate for the animals. Didn't really think about or know about the environmental factors at that stage. And then, of course, health. 
And then from that period on, that's when I started watching all the docos and doing research up until this point now where you're super informed about all of the reasons as to why you probably want to be vegan. But back to the Crohn's thing, the diet thing, I was trying all these different types of diets within the vegan diet. So like low GI, FODMAP, non-processed, all this kind of stuff to try and see if any would have an effect on my gut. And it didn't. So FODMAP, can you take us through the FODMAP? Yeah, like I don't know the what it stands for. <laughs> it's but yeah, just in general of what you were sort of eliminating. And- so anything that was like super fructosey, sugary, acidicy, so like you can't eat like apples and pears and like random things. So it's the most difficult diet because you can only eat really specific things. And I remember thinking there was some sort of like bean I could eat and some sort of bean I couldn't eat, and It was all still pretty much whole food, plant-based stuff. But I think with that, it just didn't work for me because it was so specific and so restrictive that at that time, I wasn't dedicated enough to the diet. Make it a bit hard, I guess, to eat out when there's like pre-prepared meals. Oh, yeah, totally. Impossible. Yeah. So So when you add sauces in, just say goodbye to like Bodbap. Like it's all about eating super plain and simple. Anyway, so none of that really worked for me in my lifestyle. So I ended up going to see a gastroenterologist. In- enterologist or, yeah. yeah. And um, he, I didn't really like him too much, but he's the one that diagnosed me and did the, um, we did all the tests and the colonoscopy and gastroscope, which is where they put a camera in both ends to see everything. Why didn't you really like him? Because like he's a nice guy, but he was overweight and really unhealthy himself. And I just sat there. He actually didn't believe me at the start that I was sick because I looked healthy on the outside. And that kind of pissed me off because I was really sick. And he looked really unwell. And I thought, why am I taking health advice from this bozo? Like, he can't even sort his shit out. (laughs) What am I doing listening to him? Anyway, I stuck with it because I didn't really know what else to do at that point in time. I had minimal information was trying to listen to some podcasts and stuff, but still I couldn't really find anything at that point. It's all a bit vague. Yeah, all a bit vague and everything says something different. And to be honest, everyone's body is different as well. So he put me on this medication called mesalazine um, and that really helped me. I was on that for 12 months and definitely noticed like my flares decreased and I was feeling pretty good. But then I realized that I didn't want to be on this medication. Was it having side effects or were you just sort of not wanting to have it for the rest of your life? No side effects, but I just didn't want to be on it for the rest of my life. Like at that point was considering coming off the pill, was considering coming off all these things that I was putting into my body. This was about two years ago. And so I went to him and was like, so I've started tapering down my dose. And he was like, well, that's not a good idea. And I was like, well, I don't want to be on this medication anymore. Like I'm young and healthy. I shouldn't be on this medication for the rest of my life. Like that's just ridiculous. This is just a band-aid for the problem. He was like, no, 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 no. And I just, there was, it was just, it was off. There was something wrong about it. And so I was just like, okay, whatever. I'm getting off it. So I got off that and the pill at the same time. And lo and behold, like all of the problems kind of came back um, because it was just band-aiding what was actually going on. Not to mention my hormones were kind of all out of whack from being on different pills for like seven different years. My poor body. <laughs> um, that must have been a pretty pretty hard period, I guess. Yeah, it was like rough. Physically, getting through rough. that. Yeah. Just not knowing 
I just remember breaking down one day and crying because I just didn't know what was going on and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't have anyone I could trust. And what I could trust was Google. Literally, that was, I felt like people writing blogs who'd been through similar things was the most trusted advice I could get. Anyway, really focused on um, informing myself about dietary and lifestyle choices and how that affected stress and hormones in the gut. Picked up meditation, picked up practicing yoga, really transitioned to eating really simply. So just like my lunch yesterday was just rice, rocket, eggplant, sweet potato, cauliflower, mushroom, tofu with like a little bit of homemade um, like curry sauces. Sounds delicious. It was great. Yeah. But just like no crap, no extras, no over oiling or over sourcing or anything like that. And I really definitely did start to see a big improvement. I was like, well, this is really great. I'm definitely starting to notice some changes. I need to fix myself properly. Not really sure what I'm going to do. Went to a couple of different naturopaths and they didn't really help me, um, which was unfortunate. And then about nine months ago, I fell across the ATP podcast and just literally listened for hours and hours just writing down Bright notes. Yes, yeah, so informative. And I really trust them. Mm. It's crazy. Smart guys. Don't even know what they look like, but like really smart guys. I don't know what they look like either, but no. sometimes I do imagine. <laughs> Me too. And I tried to couple- right, I can't, I kind of picture them as like, I think they'd be pretty like semi sort of jacked. I think they'd be pretty- Pretty, they'd work out a fair bit, but pretty I think jacked, they'd be nerdy. nerdy. I yeah. think they, I think yeah. they'd be nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with like glasses, yeah. lots of papers, lots of yeah. cool studies being shuffled everywhere. So I listened to that podcast a lot, and um, Michael Greger, yeah, and was just like absorbing in all this information, and I decided to reach out to the ATP podcast guys. I was like, it can't hurt, and I sent them a message saying, "Hey guys." my stomach is really bad. I got issues and I don't know how to fix them. Can you put me in the right direction of someone that I might be able to go and see? And um, they put me in touch with this girl called Elisma Lambert and she is in Queensland and um, she's a naturopath with a specific focus on like gut health. And I was kind of skeptical going into it. You know, you've been let down by so many people. And I got on this call with her and just the energy was super good. And I was really feeling excited because she looked at me and she was like, this is great. You're not that sick. Like I can see your eyes, your skin, you're looking good. You're obviously doing all the right things that you can. And because of that, you're not that sick. Yes, you're still, there's some problems, but it could be a lot worse if you were eating meat and drinking copious amounts of alcohol and partying like you used to. So that was a really nice. She um, gave you a bit of hope. Yeah, it gave me a bit of hope that I was doing the right thing. So she does Skype consultations. Yeah, we, we just did a Skype consultation. We'll, um, we'll link her into the show notes. Yeah, she's really awesome. And for the first time in my life, she seemed to pretty much know what was going on with my body from all the information that I gave her. Mind you, I gave her like five typed pages of symptoms and answering questions and things. So I gave her a lot of information, but she didn't say, I don't know what's going on. She didn't say, this is too hard. She didn't say, I don't believe you because you look healthy. She was like, okay, cool. I think the problem probably is as simple as you're not absorbing your nutrients properly. 
And because you're not absorbing your nutrients properly and your stomach isn't processing your food, it's creating inflammation in your small intestine because by the time the food gets there, it's not broken down properly. And then there are a couple of other small things about stress hormones and things like that, which hopefully are relatively easily fixed. But it was just simple and it was just, let's try this and we'll see how we go. And it was the first time that I felt like, yay, I'm winning with my gut problems. So that was about nine months ago? That was only like four months ago. And have you made some changes that have sort of seen some improvements? Oh my gosh. I've made so much improvement since then. I would say I'm 50% better from that point. So good. Like, I know this is like a lot of information for listeners, but like I would be on the toilet for, you know, a couple of hours sometimes each morning in pain and distress, depending on how stressed I was or what I ate the night before. Sometimes even something really small, like having slightly too many beans would set me off, which is really crazy. And now like I'm kind of going to the bathroom like a normal person, which is the most exciting thing ever. And I know it's a really weird, intense thing to talk about. My boyfriend's like, I can't believe you tell so many people about this, but we need to talk about it yeah. because... There's other people listening that are probably experiencing yeah. the same thing. And that was the best thing about the ATP podcast. They talked about poop like no one ever before. And they made me feel not ashamed. And they made me realize that it's a great indication of how you're pooping is how healthy you are. So that's definitely changed and improved. And my energy's great. And I've noticed heaps more clarity in the way I think. And my sleep's improved a lot as well, which is really great. So it's still a journey and I'm still not completely fixed by any means, but I'm definitely like on the right path. And no medication-y stuff, only like natural herbs and supplements. Oh, and actually I do want to mention, I did go to this awesome Ayurvedic doctor called Rama Prasad. He's in Bondi Junction. Oh, oh, someone else has told me to go and see. Ah, he's great. You should go see him just just for fun. He's awesome. And he definitely was a good part of the process as well. I saw him about a year ago for a couple of months and he definitely helped maybe detoxify some of the crap that was going on in my body and helped me think about different health practices, got me into saunering and stuff like that. So yeah, he's awesome as well. There's so many great people out there. I think we get a bit stuck because we don't realize that there are so many amazing resources out there just because we don't know where to look. And realistically, it's the most awful thing that people do feel like they have to go to these GIs that probably aren't going to look at their health in a holistic manner, you know, where there are these people like Elisma She was asking me questions like, how were you born? Do you live near major power lines? It's very thorough history. Yeah. Like, tell me your history of your great-grandma and your great-grandpa and your grandma and your granddad. And like, just everything, like, wanted to know what type of cleaning products do you use? Like, just everything. So like, looking at um, your health from a complete 360, which I think like the majority of doctors don't do these days, so... That's cool. I think you covered that really nicely. Thanks. Sorry if that was confusing. (laughs) Well, and as I said, we'll um, put some links in there in Mm. case anyone else wants to get in contact contact with either of those practitioners. We briefly mentioned before that you share with your community your sort of um, your fitness regime. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? It changes all the time, but it's great. So I did this post the other day on my Instagram. I just wanted to keep it simple for everyone because. It's the truth. The two things that I changed to get my body and my mind to the way it is now was changing my diet to a whole food plant-based diet and doing like resistance weight training. 
And literally doing those two things completely changed the way my body looks and the way my mind is as well. So generally like a week for me would be, I have a really great trainer. I train at a place called Lift Performance in Redfern. Um, and it's a pretty small boutique gym, but it's really nice community vibe. And I do three to four days of weight training there. And then probably two days of cardio slash hit style yeah. stuff. And we mix that up depending on what I'm doing and what my schedule is like. So at the moment I'm doing four days of, it's actually more of, we're working on my muscular endurance at the moment. So it's A1 to A7. So seven different exercises that are weight-based and you do them at like a quick pace, like four or five times. But you guys, so you guys sound like you're constantly changing the program. Yeah, yeah. So every like six, four to six weeks it changes. So sometimes we'll do, I hate the word like bulking and shredding phase because I don't care about how I look with bulking and shredding, but it's like bulking my muscles to get them stronger. So we'll do like a strength focused period and then like an endurance focused period. And I think the great thing about having a trainer that's got a holistic perspective is that um, they can really just adapt your training to how you're feeling or what's going on with your hormones. Or I had a bit of a skiing collision the other day and my knee's not great at the moment. So instead of doing like assault bike and rowing, I'm just doing like walking at the moment for my cardio. And like, there's no guilt about that. It just is what it is. It's it's just great. So yeah, walking a couple of days and then practicing yoga probably like three, four times a week. Busy, busy. Yeah. I really want to get into boxing as well, but I just need to find a little bit more time. So Yeah, I just, I I heard there's a new boxing like circuit in Bondi. Have you heard about Ooh, that one? No, what's it called? I don't know the name of it. I'll get it to you. Jeez, I'm bad with the names today. <laughs> that that in the documentary. But um, it's one of those ones where it, it the circuit just runs all day and you can you can turn, oh, turn up whatever time you want I've and just jump in. This. And then you can go around for as long as you want and then you jump out. Cool. Yeah. That's a great idea, making it really exciting. Kind of like the F45 yeah. boxing. Yeah, awesome. I think the F45 stuff is great. A lot of people, I saw this guy post on Instagram the other day ragging on it, but I think it's awesome. It gets people moving. It gets them up in the morning. It gets their heart pumping. I did a class the other day down in Melbourne and had the most fun time. Like it's really a great way to mix up your workouts if you're wanting yeah. something different. It clearly works for, you know, a lot of people and yeah, they totally. does motivate them. So again, going back to whatever works for you, right? Yeah. To make you move. Yeah, 100%. Could be anything. Mm. But yeah, so that's what my workout looks like at the moment. But also, yeah, would like to start boxing. Probably should do a little bit more running. Um, but I'm just feeling a bit unmotivated for the running at the moment. So happy to be walking and just doing the weight stuff. So if there's any boxing coaches listening, just... Yeah, come hit me up. I want to fight. <laughs> not up, like, not up, in hit, a fight hit fight. Hit up Tiger Lily. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to get good. <laughs> I'm sure someone will put their hand up. Yeah, that'd be so um, back to the DJing and, yes. and your career, what's, what's sort of on the horizon? Mm-hmm. What have you got your eyes on, I guess, over the next year or so? Lots of exciting stuff, actually. I'm in a really cool transition period at the moment writing a lot more music than I ever have before. So I'm in the studio once a week writing stuff, which is great. And focusing on writing a whole lot of different stuff. I was a little bit trapped for a while in my own head thinking I just had to write dance music. But now I'm kind of like, stuff it. If I want to write like poppy stuff or like, you know, stuff with some cool Afrobeat or whatever, I can do it. And so just being a little bit more creative with that and accepting that there is so much room for flexibility, which is really cool. In regards to touring, I'm still going to be touring, 
but definitely not any more than I am at the moment because I've just found that really sweet spot, which works for me from like a health perspective. Um, So as much as I do miss being able to service the markets overseas like I used to, I just can't do it anymore. So it's okay. Just kind of have had to come to terms with that. I just brought my music podcast from Fortnightly to Weekly, which is super exciting. I've been listening to that. Do you so like it? I was listening to the latest one with Timmy Trumpet. Timmy. Yeah. Do you know Timmy? No, I don't. But I was I was enjoying enjoying yeah. the music yeah. yesterday. It's great. So. It's just it's good to provide people with like a new hours mix every week that they can just take into the gym or. Yeah. So you can find that on iTunes. Or- iTunes or Castbox or whatever. Let's look it up. Podcast app you use. Yep. So all the music stuff is still kind of going really well, and I'm working with some really great brands. Adidas, um, JBL and Tropica are like the three main brands that I work with. So doing conferences with them and shows with them and really cool engagements with their products and how I use their products. So that's super cool. But then another thing that I'm doing at the moment is kind of, I've been putting off transitioning and exploring other areas of what I could potentially do for a long-term business because I'm really busy. I think that's the main Thing and I wasn't quite sure of where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. But I have this goal in my mind that I want to open like a sanctuary and have it as like an educational facility as well as a like home for animals that have either been rescued. So cool. Super cool. Hey, have it as like a um, in-between house for, you know, people that can come in and foster them or adopt animals. For example, my boyfriend's parents live on a farm and I'm more than sure that they would like love to adopt a little goat or a pig or some more chickens. But I don't know. I would just love to provide that service for people. So connecting people with animals and also, yeah, have an educational facility for kids to come in and learn about farming and agriculture and the pros and cons. You know, I don't want to be this like crazy preachy, like it's bad, but like we need it for food. It can be done in good ways. It can be done in bad ways and kind of give people like a, a really... Give them the knowledge yeah, to make their own decisions. To make their own decisions. Yeah. So that's like the end goal for me. And I realized that I have to start taking steps in some direction if I want to get there. So actually, it's funny. This afternoon, I'm starting my own podcast, a talking podcast. There you go. Yeah. Everyone's hearing it first here. Yeah. This is literally <laughs> like the first announcement. And so I actually have to thank you because I was going to do the podcast on the fundamental link between health and business. So most people I know have a story similar to me where they've gotten super unhealthy or sick and then it's potentially jeopardized their business and then they've had to rectify their health in order to keep their business going. But I was listening to your podcast the other day, obviously doing my homework before I came on the show. And I just love the way that you have a really gentle conversational style, but brings across a really great message. And I was just thinking you're the most passionate vegan slash animal lover out there. How are you doing a podcast on health and business? And so I just messaged my PA really late one night. I was like, we're scrapping the podcast idea and changing it completely. And so what the podcast idea now is on, it's on conscious living. So they don't have to be vegan or they don't have to be a plastic free warrior. But if you're doing something in your life that's conscious, like I would really like to hear about it. So I can talk to average Joes who are changing some sort of space in the community, or I can talk to yoga teachers, or I can talk to, of course, plant-based people, or I can talk to 
animal activists or school teachers who have decided to try and change their canteens to like more healthy. It just like there's so much great scope for talking to people who are doing really cool things. So thank you. I'm looking forward to uh, <laughs> subscribing. Yay. <laughs> um, but honestly, it was if I hadn't listened to a couple of your episodes, I may be going down a very different route. So, Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they inspired you a little bit. Yeah. Doing that with hopefully being the end goal of, you know, stepping more into that conscious space of having my own like farm, farm sanctuary. If anyone has a property that they want to donate to me, then I will happily accept it. <laughs> and if, if there are any sort of young DJs or aspiring DJs mm. listening, what's, what would be your summary take home words of wisdom or advice for them in terms of getting in, making a mark, you know, cr- developing their craft, but not getting too sucked into some of the yeah. dark side of the industry? Yeah, totally. Great question. Um, well, I think, of course, number one, my number one word of advice is always look after your health because if you do get sucked into that dark side, it's not going to be beneficial for mm. your business. Number two, really practice your craft. The DJ world is so oversaturated with people and because of the technology now, it's kind of easy to be a DJ, but it's hard to be a good DJ So, or a producer by that or, you know, any sort of musician. So practice your craft, like really spend time dedicating to practicing what you're doing. And then three, I would say, find what it is that makes you different from everyone else and you know, focus on that. For me, it was my ability to perform really well in front of crowds um, and my, also my ability to be super personal. And that shone through in my DJ sets. For other people, maybe it's their ability to write really intricate, crazy music, or maybe that's their ability to create these amazingly cool videos to go along with their DJ sets. Just find out what you're good at and focus on that because yeah, in the oversaturated market, you need to find a point of difference. And then the last thing I want to say is create value for your audience. I always think about this when someone's booking me. I think, why would they book me over this other DJ? What value do they get from booking me? What do I bring to the club or to the festival in terms of value? And I think that's a really great question because value can look like a lot of different things, whether it's ticket sales or cool cred or maybe really great social media support. It looks, yeah, different for every single artist. But um, yeah, find out how you can bring value to the people that are working with you. Very, very nicely answered. Mm. Well, it's been an absolute treat having you on the show. Thanks for having um, me. We've talked about so much yeah, stuff. It's I'll, been so good. I feel like I really, really know your story much more now. So Thank you. Um, yeah, once again, thank you very much for coming over. I look forward to hearing your podcast when it Yay. starts and yeah, hopefully have you on the show in the future. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. If someone does want to get in touch with you, yes, obviously on Instagram or where, where's the best way for them to find you? Depends what you want. Um, Instagram, sure, you can send me a DM. But if it's something that's kind of serious, there's an email in my DM. If, like, if you're not wanting to just say hi, there's an email in my Instagram bio that you can email that to and I will get that. Also, we're about to launch my new website, which is going to have a contact page if you want to talk about gigs or branding and stuff. And that will have everyone's emails there who you can go to for specific things. So go on my website, you can have a look at the contact page and there'll be, yeah, 
There'll be all the contacts there if you want something super specific. There we go. And what's your Instagram handle? DJ Tiger Lily, DJ T-I-G-E-R-L-I-L-Y. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and that's this week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Connect with myself and the Plant Proof community at plantproof.com and at plant underscore proof on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to receive our free plant-based nutritional information, including recipes, important blogs, and much more direct to your inbox. Until next time, folks, I'm your host, Simon Hill. Keep your spacesuit plant-proof. Change direction